So if you were, if you were to find yourself uh, in the church on any weekday and you were trying to find me, uh, if you were able to, I'm pretty good at hiding, uh, we, which is not as good as Brenda, but uh, good at hiding. Uh, if you were to track me down, you would probably find me without any shoes on. I am a fan of going barefoot. Uh, I, I guess I prescribe to the theory that life is indeed better barefoot. Uh, it's not just here. I walk around the, uh, my house you know, barefoot. I like to feel the grass beneath my feet and, and just you know, the earth touching. It's, it's kind of an inside joke amongst the, the staff and, and, and the kids here that I, that I work with that I'm constantly barefoot. And uh, actually, we had a, a few months ago, we had the LCMC Great Lakes District meeting here. And so we had people from all over the Midwest, representatives of various LCMC churches coming in to, uh, to our place of worship to gather and to lift each other up and to support each other and to uh, strategize and some different things like that. And so we had you know, these different people coming in, and Pastor David asked me to lead worship, and so I was getting ready going about my stuff. And a woman came up to me, and she stopped. And she looked at me, and she said, you must be the youth minister here. <laughs> and <laughs> I kind of stopped and thought, uh, yes, I am. What brought you to this conclusion? And she said, well, I saw you. I saw what you were wearing and saw you didn't have any shoes on and thought one of two things. Either you were a homeless man or, or you had to be the youth minister. <laughs> so apparently, you know, looking at homeless qualifies me for being the youth minister here. So, um, so a couple weeks ago uh, on a Thursday, I was going about my business, no shoes on as usual, and uh, on Thursdays, we, we have our high school Bible study. And as opposed to meeting back in the youth room, uh, like we normally do throughout the, the fall, we kind of change things up when we move out to the north lot. We have a, a bonfire, uh, so we have uh, lawn games. We're playing bocce, cornhole, uh, you know, just kind of having fun, doing some fellowship. And then we cook hot dogs over the bonfire. We have worship. We do a Bible study. We're studying the book of Revelation right now. And then we, uh, we kind of close out, and uh, we have s'mores and stuff. It's, it's a great change of pace. It's a ton of fun. And uh, so I'm, I was trying to get ready for that, and I had to go out to make sure that we had an adequate amount of firewood, and that it was actually dry for, you know, it had actually rained once in the summer, and so I needed to run out there and make sure. And it has been hot this summer, right? Like, oppressively hot. I cannot, I, anything 85 and above, I don't, I would rather take 20 below than what we've been enduring this summer. And it's just the heat, the way it reacts to you, the way the heat reacts to everything else is just awful. So... I had to go check on the firewood, so I went out the front door and made my way across the parking lot, and I had an epiphany about halfway across our parking lot. Our parking lot is made from a substance called asphalt. (laughs) Asphalt, when hot, becomes hotter than the face of the sun itself. I realized this as I saw smoke rising from my feet, and my feet were fusing to the very parking lot that we had. If you drove by a few weeks ago and you saw me hopping around like a complete idiot, it was because my feet were on fire. And I was caught in no man's land. I had nowhere to go. I couldn't push on to the north lot, and I couldn't turn back to get my shoes. Thankfully, I realized that uh, my car was nearby, and so I hopped over to my car to find socks or something I could wrap my feet in to prevent the soles of my feet from disappearing and erasing, you know, all identity of myself down there of a footprint. So the epiphany I had, shoes can be a very important and practical piece of attire. (laughs) And it's to those shoes that we turn our attention today as we continue uh, Paul's inventory of of spiritual armor that we are to wear. 
And as he's describing this, this armor, we get this image of what would have been the, the pinnacle of modern warfare and technology of his time. And that was the Roman legionary. And for the Roman legionary, foot health would have been something that was incredibly important. Battles are won and lost. Wars are won and lost on the feet of soldiers. A, a Roman legionary would have been expected to march upwards of, of 20 miles a day, depending on t- terrain and different things like that. It, it, it could vary. But marching under a heavy load, the ability to mobilize quickly to go out to any part of the, of the empire was essential for the survival of Rome, not just for the defense, but for the expansion of, of the empire. And if a soldier could not march, those goals could not be met. So in order to, to promote this, this foot health and, and, and to give them a tactical advantage, the Romans wore what was called a caligae. Now, when we think of the caligae, we, we, we think of what would be like a modern-day sandal, you know, the leather and, and, and kind of strapped over and stuff like that. Uh, but really, it, was, it couldn't have been more opposite of a sandal. For Romans, sandals were actually an indoor piece of, uh, of attire and, and would have not been, been worn outdoors. But what the caligae was was a marching boot, an open-toed marching boot. And this had some tactical advantages to it. It, it, it promoted airflow between the foot and the boot. When we think of like a modern combat boot or, or a modern work boot, you know, if you've ever been in like a pair of boots all day and it's hot out and you've been moving, it's just like you get gross swamp foot, you know, like, <laughs> right? Everyone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, which, if left untreated for a Roman soldier t- or for any soldier, could turn into trench foot, could turn into teneria, some sort of debilitating foot problem. So what these caligae did was prevented that from happening by allowing them to dry out, by allowing the foot to stay dry. They also prevented blisters from forming. So it, it allowed the Roman soldier to continue to march and to go out and to defend Rome's borders. Along with that, there was also some tactical advantages on the battlefield. We could only imagine what it would be like to be in hand-to-hand combat like that. And to have an enemy thrust themselves upon you, trying to knock you down, probably in not the best of conditions. You've got thousands of men trampling over this ground. It's probably muddy and probably, you know, not great. And if you were to slip and fall, that would be fatal. So in order to prevent that, the Romans would take these hobnails or these spikes, these metal spikes, and they would hammer them into the soles of the caligae. And that did a few things for them. The first thing it would do is it would act like a, like a, a football or a, a baseball cleat, and it would allow them to dig in, and they would link their shields and, and, and their, their spears, and as wave upon wave of enemy would come and crash against them and try to break their ranks, they were able to dig themselves into that and hold that attack and then to move forward. It served a great defensive purpose, but it also served an offensive and pretty brutal purpose as well. As you can imagine, in the chaos of battle, you're going to want to keep your weapon and your shield up and forward. So as people fell amongst you, the Romans could use this as an offensive tool by trampling and coming down and using those spikes to stomp on a fallen enemy. Very effective. So we look at that, and and, and as Paul is is describing this armor that we're supposed to wear, he's not describing this just for a good illustration, because armor is a good, like, why armor? Because we're at battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Every day that we wake up, there is a battle that we are waging. There is a war that is being fought all around us. And as we turn to to Ephesians, into, into the reading of what Paul is talking about here, he says this in the 15th verse. And with your feet fitted with the readiness 
that comes with the gospel of peace. Or the New Living Translation would say something along the lines of, and for shoes, put on the good news that is the gospel that brings peace and be prepared. Readiness. Preparedness. That word really should stand out. Ready for what? Ready for battle. We need to be prepared. We need to recognize that this is going on around us. To not just run outside barefoot. You might burn your foot. Be protected. Don't put on flip-flops. You're not going to try and run a marathon wearing heels. I'm not going to run out and play hockey wearing flip-flops. Wear the right equipment. Be ready for battle. Be vigilant like a soldier on lookout. Even though we might not be amidst the battle, prepare for it. A a soldier doesn't just march, reach camp, and sit around and, and, and do nothing. They would have prepared themselves mentally, physically. They would have studied the tactics of their opponent. They would have studied their own tactics to be sure they knew what was going to happen and what they were supposed to do when the battle began. And readiness for us is the gospel. To be prepared is to know Jesus' word. And we can't begin to know what the gospel is until we know what truth is. And this is where we begin to see the beauty that is all of this armor that Paul is describing. How all of it begins to work together. We can't know gospel without knowing truth. Actually, I just got done. I, I came back from Des Moines last week. I was asked to speak and lead uh, a couple different breakouts for the LCMC Youth Gathering. And my topic was, what is truth? And it was, it, it was great. And we had just got done, uh, Pastor Dave, two weeks ago, I just got done preaching on truth. And we talked about that, about how there was, a, you know, just not to, not to rehash that, but as a quick recap, we talked about that difference between relative and absolute truth. How relative truth is truth that can be changed and is defined by us. How I can believe what I want to believe, I'm going to define what my own truth is. Whereas opposed to absolute truth is truth that is unchanging. Truth that should, when, when, when shined and, and seen by us, should change us. So when Jesus, in the 14th chapter of John, says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, we look at that and realize that's absolute truth. He can't be both right and wrong at the same time. Jesus is either lying or he's telling the truth. And so for us, as Christians, as we we look at that and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is telling the truth here. I realize that I need a Savior in my life. I realize that Jesus is the only way to the Father, and I'm going to lay myself before him. So we take that as truth. That means everything else he says is truth as well. So how do we find peace? Well, if we scroll down just a little further from our gospel reading today, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus has given us his peace. And we know that to be true because we know Jesus to be true. But there's a catch here. He warns us against some false peace that goes on around us. The world is going to try and convince us that that, that there is peace that is easily obtained and available whenever we want. But Jesus says that's not true peace. That's false peace. It's temporary. It it runs out. It's shallow. And really, I think what the world tries to convince us that peace is, is just the absence of conflict. Peace is just the absence of conflict. But there's a huge problem with that. What happens when conflict arises? Then there's no peace. And so then we're left trying to grapple with that and trying to find, if, if we're prescribing in with, with this world's peace, we're, we're left trying to, trying to fill that hole and find peace elsewhere. 
And so we might turn to substances, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex. We might turn to distractions. We might turn to technology, TV, uh, and, and just try to, try to find some semblance of peace in all of that. Or we might throw our hands up in the air and say, forget it. I'm done. I can't find peace. I, I just wish things were the way they were. Insert date here. But Scripture would tell us not to do that. Ecclesiastes actually would, would say in, in the 10th verse of the 7th chapter, don't say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. It's not wise because peace can't be found there. That's more of that same false peace. And on the flip side of that coin, you know, if that's the one extreme, if we looked at the other extreme, don't be living in ignorant bliss either. Don't look around our world and try to define it by that relative truth and say, ah, it's not even that bad. Peace is available I'm at peace. I'm okay. I'll define what peace is. It's not that big of a deal. It's reminiscent of what Jeremiah is begging, begging the Israelites in the sixth chapter as, as, as destruction is, is, is upon them. And Jeremiah is saying, please, guys, we need to repent. We need to turn back to God because we are getting into some stuff that we should not be getting into. And what was their response? Now, they dressed the wound of my people as though it was not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there's no peace. They're putting a band-aid over a bullet wound. The world's peace is not peace, according to Jesus. But the peace that Jesus does offer us, the peace found in the gospel, is an everlasting peace. The beautiful thing about this peace is, is, is that it is peace amidst conflict. When that conflict happens, as we are in that battle, that's when we can be at peace. It's, it's weird to think about. Here we're talking about military stuff and, and, and this armor, and yet at the same time we're talking about peace. That's because God's peace, the peace that Jesus promises, destroys anxiety. When the world's peace really promotes it, Jesus destroys anxiety. And, and the devil wants to try to convince us that this peace doesn't exist. He wants us unprepared. The enemy wants us worried, stressed out, freaked out, not knowing what to do. He wants us unprepared. He wants to convince us that that peace, oh, get your head out of the clouds. God's peace, Jesus' peace, this peace amidst conflict, that doesn't exist. That's just being idealistic. It's being silly. It's not real. But we know it's real because we know what truth is, and then we know what gospel is. So I read that and say, no, this is real. This is where I find actual peace. And what the beauty of it is, too, when we look at that, Jesus says, peace, peace I give you. So what this means, this peace is already in our heart. This isn't something I need to earn or something I need to do or something I have to, you know, I have to accomplish a certain amount of tasks in order to get this peace. Jesus has already given us this peace. So that means peace is a choice. I have the choice to choose that peace or the world's peace. And since we know the truth, we know all we have to do is ask for it, which admittedly is easier said than done. When my heart is hurting and when I am just stressed out and I can't even think straight, I just want to escape. And I want to just buy into the world's peace because it's so easy to do and it's just right there. And it's so hard amidst that stuff to... to to accept Jesus' peace. And sometimes I don't even know how to do it. It's like, I just believe the lies. You know, I get deceived. How do I even accept this peace that Jesus is speaking about? 
in our, in our reading today in Philippians, Paul would say, rejoice always. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. How do I obtain this peace? By prayer, by rejoicing amidst the conflict, which is so against what I want to do, I I just want to give up. But Paul's saying, no, to obtain this peace, say, thank you, God. Pray, petition, thanksgiving. So why shoes? I find it beautiful that, that, that Paul assigns the gospel of peace to a pair of, 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 of shoes. Because we see a few characteristics of what peace is and, and what's needed for peace. The first thing is it has to be mobilized. Peace does not do, you know, this, this gospel, God's peace, doesn't do much just sitting around. It needs to be mobilized and moved forward. And what it does is it, it, it takes that anxiety that's in our hearts about moving it forward. It, it takes that, that, that stress, that fear, that, that doubt, whatever, and it motivates us. Like that Roman Caligae, it allows us, you know, it provides those defensive purposes. As we begin to move out and, and are motivated by that peace and the enemy starts throwing attacks at us, we're able to dig in to that peace and into that gospel and to repel that attack. But it also provides an offensive purpose as well. As reminiscent from Paul's words in Romans, in the 16th chapter, he says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Under our feet, with the gospel of peace, Satan is going to be destroyed. The enemy is already defeated, and I think that's what should bring the most peace, is we're already fighting a defeated enemy. The battle's being waged, but the war is already won. So what do we do? We prepare. We pray. We prepare by studying, by devoting ourselves, by lifting ourselves to God, by spreading the peace, and by accepting that peace. If, 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 if you are someone that needs peace today, if, if we're searching for peace, know that it is already in our hearts and all we have to do is ask. And as silly as that might sound, because, you know, as Paul says, it's peace that transcends all understanding. It might not make sense to us, but it's there. And it, it, it brings peace amongst this battle, because what's awesome is this isn't a battle that's fought physically. You know, Paul's not telling, I'm not, I don't have a pair of, you know, <laughs> shoes in my house called the gospel of peace. This isn't a physical battle that's, that's fought standing up. But this is a spiritual battle fought with our hands folded in prayer. So with that in mind, let's rise and go to battle for God.